Leaders come in all different shapes, sizes, and styles. There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Our goal is to connect with those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others, to learn about their unique style, and to provide our listeners with inspiration to lead. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Very excited for our guest today, Natalie Nyrick. Natalie spent just about a year as an employee at Empower. She is a Southington High School graduate. We won't say the year, Natalie. We'll keep that out. <laughs> Southington High School graduate. After moving on from Southington High School, she went to the University of Connecticut, a double major in urban and community studies and Spanish. She graduated from UConn in 2018 with a Bachelor of Arts. Spent a year and a half in Guatemala as part of a Peace Corps mission as a youth in development volunteer. And we're not going to describe too much of that because Natalie's going to tell us all about that experience. Had a great time working with Natalie when she was with Empower. And that was right before she went, uh, went out to Guatemala and Really excited to have you on today, Natalie, with the uh, the Lead with Empower podcast. Thank you. How the heck are you? Thank yeah. you. <laughs> what's going on? How are you? Everybody healthy? What's uh, what's the status right here with the COVID nineteen situation? Are you healthy and good? I'm Family healthy members healthy and good. Um, doing very well. It's been a shock being home after a year and a half. I wasn't supposed to come home until November. Um, so it's been kind of crazy adjusting back. I mean, I had my plan set to come home in November, November and then a plan from there. And since I had to come home early, it's kind of just like very all of a sudden we had like three days to pack up and come home. And I think we were given like 24 hours of us like notice that we were even going to be going home. Kind of a crazy ride, but doing well, didn't get sick on the way home um, and all my family as well. So doing, doing pretty good. Great. Awesome. And yeah, so we, we touched base probably about a month ago, right? When you got back and uh, this was right at the onset of the COVID-19 situation. So I was excited because we had, you know, Natalie possibly going to, you know, do a little bit of work with Empower for the season and the start has been delayed, which, you know, everybody's in the same boat. So the, the departure from Guatemala was super sudden. Very sudden. Hot, tell it without getting too much into the trip because we I have some time dedicated to the actual the time you spent down there. What was it like? I mean, what was that like? Uh, it had to be a whirlwind. Kind of how, how did it all come about? And and yeah, give us a little bit of details as to the the end of your trip and your return to the U.S. Definitely an absolute whirlwind. I think that's a great way to describe it. I was actually taking a weekend two day trip with my friends, and we were told. I mean, we had been hearing in the news that the COVID was getting bad. Um, but we didn't think we were going to be coming home. This is the first time in the history of Peace Corps that they have sent home volunteers globally. So it wasn't just Peace Corps Guatemala. It was Peace Corps on an international level. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you were a volunteer in Africa, Asia, South America, Central America, everybody went home. So they had originally told us on Sunday, listen, we're not going to send anyone home, but if you would like to go home, you can and receive all the benefits of a returned Peace Corps volunteer. So that was kind of crazy in itself because a volunteer that does not complete their two years of service does not receive any of the benefits of a volunteer that does. So that was kind of crazy. That was already like a little bit like, wow, like something's going on. <laughs> um, I made the decision on that Sunday to stay despite everything. I didn't really, I wanted to finish my two, two years. I only had six months left, maybe like six and a half 
And then all of a sudden, I think it was Sunday night. So they had said that Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, they said, never mind, Peace Corps on an international level, level is making everyone go home. So whatever you decided doesn't matter now. You have, we, you have to get out. So we had, we, I was originally told I had three days to say goodbye to everybody. Everybody I had met over two years, my support system, my friends, my colleagues. And so I, I was going to like spread it out over the three days, really milk those last three days. And then on Monday they said, change of plans. You need to get out right now and be at you know, the hotel and we're going to send you home. And then that was a whirlwind as well because nobody wanted to fly the plane. They found, finally found a plane. Then they couldn't find the crew. Then they found the crew. Then the airport closed. There, it was kind of a ton of craziness, but we eventually all got home safe. But it was a crazy last couple days. How were they communicating with you? Was it phone call, text message, email? Was it just like out of, out of nowhere, your phone dings and it's like, oh, change of plan. Like, t- tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Peace Corps at Guatemala actually did a wonderful job communicating with us. Um, initially, it was through emails. And then as things started to get serious, they activated their emergency communication system. So we all are given a number with Peace Corps. Okay. Um, and so the texts just go out from them directly. And it was updates, I mean, every 30 minutes. And Although they were changing updates, it was very much appreciated. Um, like, okay, we're doing this now. Okay, 15 minutes later, it changes. And it was a lot of changes, but I appreciated being in the loop. So it was mostly through text. And then once we all met up, it was in real life, like constant updates. But it, I was very appreciative of that. That's great. And so <laughs> the whole thing at the airport, I, I hate, I love being on a plane and flying. I, you know, I'm not one of those people that's scared of flying from that regard. I have the the agita of, you know, missing a flight or getting somewhere and not knowing what the heck to do that. How was that part of it? Especially with like the question about, is there a plane? Are there pilots? Is there a crew? How crazy was that? It was, it was pretty crazy. The, the cool part, I've never been in, in a closed airport. So they had opened the airport just for us and some members of the embassy. So we kind of had a very diplomatic flight, you could say. Um, they opened it just for us. The whole airport was closed. Um, we went right out to the tarmac and were able to board up. But it was actually a lot less, uh, I don't know, I've never been in an abandoned airport. So it was kind of crazy, but less crazier than I thought, but still crazy to be doing that. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. So we're going to we're gonna go and rewind a little bit right here. You're Southington High School grad, big rival, uh, you know, from where, where I went to school here in Middletown at Xavier. We're for everyone yeah pretty much they're they're a powerhouse Southington it pains me to say that you know in out in public but Southington is a bit of a powerhouse um what sort of being a double major I'm going to go ahead and assume you're you know relatively intelligent outside of academics what, what were some of the things that you were involved in as a high school student uh, freshman year, I did go in um really enjoying basketball so I was on the freshman year basketball team I really did enjoy that um and then I could honestly say that I decided not to continue with that my sophomore year, honestly, out of laziness. The coach said that we were going to have to run a mile every single day of the summer um, <laughs> as a group. And having not run a mile since like fifth grade, I think, I was just not about that. And honestly, it was out of laziness that I quit. But I was a part of the basketball team for a brief time. <laughs> I wish I had stayed with it. It would have been really good for me. But I did not. Um, but I was more active in clubs. I was the president of my key club for two years. So that was really good. Key Club, for anyone that doesn't know, is a community service club. Um, So we did a lot of projects in the community, kind of supporting local organizations that were already existing. Um, And that was really rewarding for me. Looking back on that, what was one of the 
service projects or the organizations that the key club assisted that kind of stuck out to you that you can look back on now and say, wow, that was pretty neat that we had that kind of impact. Yeah, I think all of our projects with the Southington Community Services were really rewarding because Southington Community Services um, work directly with people from, you know, the town. Um, all the services are for Southington residents. And one that I led every year was the coat drive. And it is crazy how many extra coats people have in their houses that they are not using uh, that could be, you know, uh, given to other people or donated to people that really need them. And I think we collected like over 200 coats one year, which oh I goodness. just thought was crazy. Like, where did these coats come from? But I think out of my house alone, I think we got rid of like 20 coats. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty, it pretty cool. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, moving on from Southington High School, um, why'd, you, why'd you choose University of Connecticut? Why'd you choose UConn? And then double major. What what was the thought process as uh, you know, 17, 18 year old high school graduate saying, I'm going here and why? And then one major is not hard enough. I'm going to go for two. <laughs> yeah. So the way that worked out, I always said I was going to go away. My brother studied at Indiana University. I went to visit him a few times and he actually went there for the basketball team, um, but ended up falling in love with the business school and it ended up working out really well for him. But um, coming from a big basketball family, I was like, I'm going to go to Indiana too. Um, and then last minute, it kind of just turned into all my friends are staying local. Um, and I, I really valued my friendships that I had. They were really close friendships that I've had since childhood. And so I ended up just sticking with my friends and going to UConn. And it was a great decision. I actually went in as a um, physical therapy major. So I was taking science classes, chemistry, biology, and I actually... Having done really well in high school, I was in all the high-level classes, APs, whatever. I did really poorly my first year. I got C, C minus. I was like, okay, this physical therapy thing is not going to work out. Um, and the reason I chose physical therapy is because I really wanted a career where I can continue serving people and helping yep. people like I did in the key club. But I knew that physical therapy was not going to be the route um, after that first year. So I uh, knew that I really had a passion for Spanish after having a foreign exchange student in high school that really kind of cultivated my passion for Spanish. Um, so I knew I was going to decide on that. So Spanish was my first declared major. Um, but knowing that I can't do a ton with Spanish, um, I also wanted to add in something else in case I changed my mind later down the line. And so I went with a second degree in urban and community studies with the goal of eventually going into social work. But upon graduating college, I was kind of still not sure if it was social work or teaching that I wanted to do. And so Peace Corps kind of served as the perfect two-year time to figure that out. I'd get a little taste of teaching, a little taste of social work, um, and it did it. It actually helped me solidify my decision to go into teaching. Great. What grade level would, would you want to teach? High school. At the high school level? Yeah. Back at Southington, back at the powerhouse? <laughs> um, probably wherever I could find a position, quite honestly. That's a good answer. Um, but yeah, I think working with Ed Empower and then also in Guatemala, I worked a lot with middle school age kids and they're great, um, but they do have a lot going on. And I think I vibe and connect better with high schoolers. So that kind of ultimately swayed my decision there. Similar boat as you uh, started as a teacher and, uh, Middle school was okay. I definitely found myself in, in, in a good connection with the high school students for sure. Um, joined Empower, I want to say, was it 2018 season was, in the spring? Yeah, um, prior to that, you did some work on, uh, at UConn, right? They had a, a ropes course and did a bunch of team building uh, programming there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that experience for you, Natalie. 
Yeah, so uh, Four Arrows at UConn was a low ropes course that I was a part of for two years. Um, that was probably a, a really important deciding factor in me even looking for Empower when I graduated. I knew that I had developed a lot of leadership skills as a part of being a facilitator at that low ropes course. And I kind of really, that's kind of where I found my passion for leadership and facilitation. And so I wanted to carry that through at Empower. But yeah, the low ropes course was great. Um, we worked with mostly college groups, college age kids. Um, it could be like sororities, fraternities, sports teams. Um, any sort of student affiliated group. Um, we had all sorts of groups coming through groups, 10 kids to 70 kids. Um, and the idea was you do some activities with them before um, and then you bring them out into the woods and you do some low ropes courses. And that kind of really digs into the nitty gritty of that group dynamic there. Absolutely. Similar and similar to a lot of the stuff that you did with us for the, Absolutely, you know, yeah. what, six months, eight months yeah. uh, during the time at Empower. Did you and again, they, they blend together. Were you part of, you did, you did work the overnight program with Amherst college with us. Is that, did you pull like an all nighter with us? I wasn't there the whole night, but I was there, I think until about, about 2 AM. <laughs> Might as well be the whole night. <laughs> how, not how, or was it different going from the working with just the college student groups at, at UConn, you know, we've had some experience working with some of the sororities and fraternities, pretty fun groups to work with. Um, what was the big difference going from the, the college setting kind of ropes course experience to, you know, doing that for a short period of time in, in the small business world, the small business setting? Definitely similar. Um, I mean, with any group coming in, you want to start off with the simple activities. How can we get to know each other? How can we um, give them similar experiences to grow upon? So I mean, in both settings, no matter what the age, you kind of want everybody to start to bond at first. So you do those icebreaker activities, those activities where you're kind of starting to break down barriers um, and then move into more of the nitty gritty stuff after that. So it was similar in that aspect, but maybe a little bit different in that the groups had, I mean, they're coming from, it could be groups that are, you know, middle schoolers, they haven't had any experience at all. Whereas at UConn, it was college level students that may have done a leadership course before or had some sort of leadership training, or kind of had an idea what we were going to get at. But at Empower, I mean, it was groups coming in from, maybe they had never done an experience ever before. So they had no idea where we were going with it. Yeah, which I think is a and you touched on this already, the, the build relationships, get them the bond with, you know, when you have that group coming in with no previous experience and, you know, no idea who some of the people that they were with were, mm -hmm. um, the importance of creating the connections between the participants, but also the importance between, or, or the, the importance of creating the connection between facilitator and participants. Exactly. Yeah. How, and you could, you know, use the UConn experience or your, or your time at Empower as reference. What were some of the, the tactics you would implement as a facilitator? And you did a lot of that with us. Um, what were some of the tactics you would implement as a facilitator to start, you know, because group shows up on a bus, a group walks out to the course at UConn and, and, it, and it's on, it's game on. Mm -hmm. How did you go about developing those relationships to let them know, like, all right, I can trust Natalie, you know, she's going to take care of us, you know, over the, and she's going to show us a great time over the course of our program. What were some of the things that you did to, to foster the development of those relationships? Um, I think something really important that you have to do as a facilitator is kind of 
you know, put some thought into the group that's coming into the course before they come in. So if I was at, I mean, either UConn or Empower, if the group is a sports group, you know, I mean, if they really like soccer, I mean, some first sort of questions you can ask, like, what's your favorite soccer team? Or what position do you play? And kind of just start those basic conversations. So, I mean, you definitely want some background on your group before you work with them. Um, it's definitely super important. And then even the games that you choose to play. If they are a sports group, you know that they like to handle, you know, a ball or something. So maybe if you're going around doing names, have an item that you're passing around and throwing to them because you know that they kind of work better when they're active. If it's like a UConn, I know we had like a lot of journalism groups come through. If they really like writing, you might want to do a writing activity, like write down two truths and a lie and sort of games like that, just so that kids could get to know each other in a, in a way that they're already comfortable doing. Great. I like it. And yeah, so you're, it's a progressive challenging of their comfort zone and, and the parameters are set up so that it's almost like giving the appearance that we're, we're doing what we normally do, but we're, we're not. And, you know, ease, ease into it that way. Great, great answer. Go again, using either UConn or your time at empower, what was your favorite? And we're going to take the zip lining out of the equation. Cause that usually wins in this question. <laughs> what was your favorite activity to facilitate and why? Favorite activity to facilitate. This is a good question. Thank you. <laughs> um, honestly, there's a there's a one of the icebreakers that I really like to facilitate is called FIAC. Um, I think it's I think it's what does the FF stand for? Fictional. Fast food. No, fast food, electrical appliance, cartoon hero. And so the facilitator comes in with their list, and you break the the group up into different teams, and they have one person that comes into the middle, receives the item, and has to go back to their group, and um, what's it called? Mime the activity, do charades to their group so that yeah. the group can figure out what it is without talking. And like I said, the items are one of the three. They're a fast food, electrical appliance, or cartoon hero. I really like that game just because it's a, a quick way to get people to bond and also kind of do something outside their comfort zone because maybe they're used to, I don't know, being able to say things, but in this case, they have to charade it maybe to a group of strangers and do something weird. Um, and then also has that competitive aspect, which I really like. And then I could kind of be rooting for a team and then maybe like we'll do a second round. And then the team that did really bad does really good the next round. I really like that activity. And I will, um, and this is very common in adventure facilitation. And I think I, I'm a former physical education teacher. So it's very common in that as well. And probably into education elsewhere where you see somebody else do an activity and, you're, and then you're like, Oh, that's, that's getting added to the bag of tricks. And yeah. Natalie, I believe you were the person who introduced me to the game of Fiat. Yeah, I was. I think so. Oh, wow. And we're going to go with it. I'm going to say, yes, you were hundred percent. I'm going to say it with confidence. Natalie was the person <laughs> that introduced me to that game. And I've run it at just about every program since, and it is the source of some of the best. Yes highlights and it usually it's usually an activity you do at the beginning of a program or at least I do mm -hmm. and one sticks out where I was at a, a leadership uh the Georgetown Institute for Transformational Leadership in the greater DC area and I was uh you know, I went down there to do a presentation for this oh, wow. uh conference and I chose Fiat as one of the activities and we're in like this kind of ballroom area and there's this huge staircase going up to another area of this conference setting and did you make them run up the staircase no i didn't but one of the cartoon slash heroes was cinderella 
Uh-huh. And I had them acting in pairs because it was a bigger group. And one of the guys, one of the participants was trying to do it, you know, act out Cinderella and his team couldn't get it, couldn't get it. He runs over to the staircase and like took his shoe off, left it at the bottom and ran up the stairs and then came running down the stairs and, and they, they got Cinderella and it was, oh it God, was an hilarious. absolute highlight. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll thank you for passing along your wisdom because Fiat is a, a staple now in the Empower kind of team building catalog. It's a great game. 100%. What's a group that sticks out to you as one that really challenged you as a facilitator? And it, we all have that, those groups that you maybe you just don't connect with or like every activity is either too easy or too hard. Do you, do you have one that sticks out to you as like, wow, that one really beat me up? And, and what'd you learn from that experience of kind of getting trampled a little bit? I remember there was one group. I don't know from where, what they were called. Probably best that I don't remember. Um, but um, it was a group of middle schoolers. And you know, at the middle school level, they're constantly hating on each other, just constantly throwing names. It's your fault. You did this. Or you're fat. You can't do this. You're too tall, too short, whatever. Constantly throwing jabs at each other, thinking that they can't complete anything, thinking that it's impossible. And just trying to rein that in and turn it into, you know, productive energy can be really hard, especially at that age level. And I know that group really, I, I remember coming home. Actually, there was one group after one, one summer at Empower. I don't know if you know this, Dan. I actually did come home and break down to my dad crying. I was like, they really took a toll on me. Like, I don't know if I want to go into teaching or social work ever. Like, either of them. Like, it just, I thought it changed the whole course of my life. I think this was that group, but um, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, I pulled through. Um, I think it's just a bad day for them, and I don't know. I hope that they learned something from their day in the end. But they put me through the ringer, that's for sure. <laughs> what did you take from that? I outside, I was a, there was the should I be doing this moment, obviously. But what would you walk away from that after you, you know maybe had some time to reflect on it that you know maybe you put you pulled on and took with you moving forward. Yeah, I think especially after talking to my dad, just that patience is just so incredibly important and trying to th see things from their perspective. Um, I mean, my dad's a middle school counselor, so he works with middle school students every day. And he's like, listen, like they're on vacation. Who knows what they were doing all week? But this is the age where they're figuring things out and figuring things out about themselves. And working in a team is especially difficult for middle school students as they're not, they don't even know who they are themselves. How can they work together as a group? Um, so just kind of having patience and kind of drawing my mind to that fact that it's a very difficult point in their lives um, was really important for me. But um, ultimately I, you know, I realized that it was just a, a one day thing and, and I could pull through. <laughs> Absolutely. And you did, you, you stuck it out and you, you were part of uh, the, the fall time is always a challenge, not a challenge. It's a fun, challenging time for, for me personally with empower mm -hmm. um, because we typically have a smaller team. You know, we have some, you know, college students who go back to school and we spend, I would say like 85% of September and October, like traveling to different yeah. schools to run programs. And um, patience is a, is absolutely a key element. <laughs> yeah. And especially with middle schoolers, I don't think you could pay me a dollar amount to go back and do middle school again. No, no. Because <laughs> you have... It's so awkward. It's awkward. Um, Everyone's awkward. Physically awkward, socially awkward. Like you have no idea who the hell you are. No. You want to be this person and you try to put that out there, but it's not who you are. Uh, yeah, not no. 
and all the problems at home too that some of them could be going through. And I think also during my time in Guatemala, that really became clear to me. Like each one of these kids has a different home situation that I know nothing about. I know what my home situation was like. I know what my friends were like, but there are a million other people in the world. I have no idea what they're going to, what they're coming from each day. And on top of that, being awkward as a middle schooler just really complicates things. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And it's, and it's, it's a great lesson in leadership is, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, oh, it's a sports team. So I want to make this assumption that they're going to like, you know, being active or it's a journalist team. And it's an important aspect of leadership is, you know, being able to make assumptions about who you're going to be leading and, and the type of group and who makes up the group. But you can never lose sight of, hey, this, this one person could be different or this group could come from a different experience and you don't know what their morning was like before camp or, Absolutely. you know, did they have a crappy season the year before and is that going to impact how they're, how they're interacting with each other now? So important lesson about leadership is, you know, make the assumptions, but don't go blind either. Ha, you know, have an open mind to what, what these people might be coming to you with. Absolutely. Even though they're a team, they're all still individuals too. Without a doubt. All right. So thank you again for Fiat. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you. You, uh, if I remember correctly, you were supposed to depart uh, Connecticut a little earlier than you actually did. So we had you that fall for a little bit longer than we anticipated. So I thank you for sticking it out and helping us get through that, that fall season in particular, and they're all challenging, but for being a part of that. So, which brings us to Peace Corps Guatemala. Yes. Um, you touched on it briefly that it, the going into the Peace Corps was, it was going to give you that kind of window of time to figure some stuff out. What else was it? Were there any other reasons like personal experiences that kind of drew you to going to do this? Like how hard was it to make that decision? And what were some of the things that factored into saying, this is something I absolutely want to do? Yeah. Um, my dad, so I said, I mentioned him earlier. He was a guidance counselor, middle school counselor my whole life. So through him, I was constantly doing activities with the school, whether it was a community cleanup or going to some sort of cultural night or food night or peer. I think we have something in our Sellington school district called peer advocates uh, meetings. I was constantly surrounded by leadership, teamwork or community building activities. That was something I grew up with. Um, my dad was also a boy scout leader and I, I did a lot of stuff with my brothers. I was like, kind of like the, I don't know how you say it. Like the add-on sister even though she's a girl but like we include her in everything so like I, I remember doing all that boy scout stuff I was a girl scout too but for some reason the boy scouts were so much more fun um so we were doing I don't know always doing team building community building stuff growing up that was always what we were doing on the weekends um so from a young age somebody had I don't know where I heard of Peace Corps originally but it was always in the back of my mind this is something I want to check out and then through high school, when I had that foreign exchange student that really got me passionate about Spanish, I thought, okay, this could be a great opportunity to continue learning Spanish. Um, so I guess my decision kind of came from the fact that, yes, I did want to decide between teaching and social work. Um, I've always had a passion for community service, team building, community building, um, and then I wanted to develop my Spanish. So it was kind of a lot of factors, but it, it was always sitting there in the back of my mind. Great. And was it, a, was it a difficult decision at the time to say, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be away from home for two years. Honestly, I applied and I got accepted. And I just told my parents, I'm like, this is what I'm, this is what I'm doing. 
Um, it was never, I never really, I know. I think it was always something I knew I was going to do. It was not a difficult decision at all. And how were your parents after hearing like, this is what I'm going to do for two years. I'm not going to see you very often. How do they handle that? I think they were more worried about the security aspect. Like, where are you going? Who are you going to be living with? Like, how, like, I think they're more worried about like that. Have you ever seen that movie Taken? Where like, (laughs) yeah, they were worried that that it was going to be a situation like that. But ultimately, I've always kind of been like independent. I make my decisions. And usually I think they're pretty respectful of my decisions and trust me a lot. So I'm really lucky to have a supportive family. Um, obviously they had the, you know, normal concerns, but once I said I was going, I mean, they think they just kind of accepted it. Like she's going to do what she's going to (laughs) do. So (laughs) you mentioned Taken, which the first Taken I thought was a good, a good movie, pretty scary movie. Yeah. Uh, You know, real, you know, I, I don't know how realistic it is, but whatever you can, you know, get your imagination goes wild. The taken like two through six, the rest of them were not so good. I have not. Um, it goes up to six. I have not. I, I don't know if it's six. I was exaggerating, <laughs> probably. But, uh, <laughs> but you mentioned that and it, I. What did you did some unique training? I believe I did. <laughs> and you jogged my memory. I didn't. Uh, didn't. Didn't. This isn't on the written question list. Um, Tell everybody about the little, the, the bit of unique training you did before going to Guatemala, Natalie. So, yeah, my parents were very concerned about the security factor of Guatemala. So I did do a self-defense with my friends. Um, it was a three, three-week course. Um, I, I actually don't know the name of the company, but they did a very great job um, and kind of just giving us some basic moves. I, you know, I don't know if somebody were to like try to like kidnap me, if I would be able to replicate the moves. But I think what I did learn from the experience was that I do have the power to overtake somebody if I try hard enough and aim somewhat correctly or put my body weight the way that they had instructed me to. I think it was empowering to know that like it was an option. Like I could escape if I needed to. Could I do what? it now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Out of practice. <laughs> what... Uh... I grew up a big wrestling fan. I'm not a wrestling fan anymore, but as a kid, I always loved watching wrestling on TV and we would go to it when it was local. Uh-huh. What would, if, if Natalie was like a pro wrestler, what would be the signature move that you learned from self-defense class? And so it was based in Krav Maga, I think, pretty sure. And there was a lot of like, very just like powerful, like arm things to the back or like leg things to the front to those, you know, vulnerable areas. So it would, <laughs> probably be something involving that i have a video of a friend who actually went back to classes and she's able to overturn a guy onto his back so ideally it would be to go back and learn that move because she looks she's like five foot like my height five foot two like maybe 110 pounds and she like overturns this like 200 pound guy it's actually pretty cool so just straight badass oh yeah (laughs) i should have gone back and you know got that class done but i didn't (laughs) hey there's time once this COVID thing's over that's the put it on the list true true so for the listeners if um natalie's giving you any crap (laughs) all right avoid the the jarring arm motions either front or back to the vulnerable areas she will get you she's a trained assassin i don't know about that but i'll try (laughs) Paint a picture. I've never been to Guatemala, never done the Peace Corps. For somebody that, you know, hasn't had that experience, paint a picture of what your time was like, what a normal day or week was like, uh, you know, from your experience. Sure. Guatemala was very, it's very different than the States. 
you know, the houses are close to get, like the towns are all very spread out. So it's not like you go on like a highway and you're passing, you know, Southington, Farmington, West Hartford. It's no, it's like Southington, farmland, 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 another town. Um, so that's what it's like. It could be a little bit isolating if you're not with another volunteer. The houses are all kind of close together. Um, and then there's lots of farmland. Their, uh, their main thing is agriculture. Um, so when you're not in a town, you're usually like in a cornfield. Um, so that's what Guatemala looks like. It does have some very beautiful parts. I recommend Antigua for anybody that wants to visit Guatemala. It's very touristy, um, very nice looking. Um, we also have a lot of volcanoes, so it's pretty mountainous. But a normal day-to-day -day for a youth and development volunteer, I worked at two different middle schools, one in the urban area, so one where there was lots of buildings, and then another middle school out kind of in the farmland. Um, so those were two very distinct experiences. The students from both came from very different situations. So that was kind of cool to work with. And then I also worked as a part of the um, municipal center with the youth service office. So my ultimate goal working in Guatemala was to empower the youth of my town to make um, healthy decisions so that they could have more successful futures. So the main issues of my town were high um, teen pregnancy rates and um, high instances of alcohol and drug abuse. So those were the two main goals that I was kind of working towards um, in reducing instances of those two issues. So on, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Mondays and Wednesdays, I went to one middle school, worked with one group of kids. Tuesdays, Thursdays, I worked with the uh, rural group of middle school kids. And then in between there, I supplemented that with um, work in the youth service office. We did a lot of different um, reproductive health um, trainings and a lot of different alcohol and drug abuse prevention trainings. What was a, like, how, what was a normal work day? Was it a nine to five? Was it around a school setting? So Peace Corps volunteers make their own hours. So um, kind of cool, but you want to use your time wisely. You do, you're not just there to kind of, you know, you don't want to just be away for two years and then get nothing out of it. So you want to make the most of your time. The middle school schedule over there is only half day. So middle uh -huh. school is either from seven to 12 or it's from one to six. So um, I would do half day at a middle school and then the other half of the day with the youth service office. What, and so you mentioned the two, I guess, issues that you were focusing on, the teen pregnancy and then the alcohol substance abuse. What were, you've had some experiences in the States working with middle school students and then obviously, you know, a couple of years, almost, a, a, you know, a couple full years working with, uh, in Guatemala. What were some of the similarities that you saw between middle school students? And then what were some of the, the glaring differences, if there were any? Yeah, sim similarities, definitely. Um, it's an, it is an awkward time in their lives. They have a lot of questions. Middle school students have a ton of questions, <laughs> and they're not sure if they should put it out there, or if they should hold it in, if they should go look on the internet themselves. Um, so that was one thing that was very much in common. Another similarity, phones. <laughs> No matter what country you're in, kids are all over the phone. They were playing a game called Free Fire. I don't know if that's a game here as well. They were all about this shooting game. Um, a lot of kids would talk about that. So, I mean, I'm not really into that, but it was a good conversation starter. Like, oh, did you play Free Fire today? Uh, I don't know if it was a positive thing, but it was something to connect with them on. Um, so, yeah, a lot of phone issue usage. Um, bullying was very similar in here and there. Differences, um, I would say... Guatemalan youth tend to come from tougher situations. So the majority of them live in one parent households, or if they don't have a parent in the household, they live with grandparents or aunts and uncles. Um, so also they experience the effects of migration or immigration a ton. So they kind of have that 
in the back of their minds always. That's an issue that kind of affects them all that doesn't really affect kids here. Um, and then that constant steady home life. A lot of kids here maybe might take that for granted. I mean, even if you have divorced parents, usually there's some sort of situation that's worked out. But over there, it's very informal. My dad left or my mom left or whatever. So, I mean, they're dealing with a, a little bit, a little bit tougher home situations over there. Yep. Yep. For you personally, um, and you probably remember this from your time at Empower, but when we define leadership, we define it as leadership of self and then leadership of others. For you personally, what was the biggest self-leadership challenge for you when you were there that you had to continually, continually coach yourself through? Hmm, that's a good question too. Biggest self-leadership challenge. I grew a ton, I think, professionally and personally in Guatemala. So that's pretty cool. The toughest part maybe was, I think for me in this, this is probably very unique to my experience, definitely the language barrier. So constantly knowing I had to go home and look up 10 words every night and just kind of staying disciplined with that. Because if not, middle school kids especially will take advantage. She doesn't know what we're saying. So we can say whatever. Or we can make little comments here and there. Um, and so for me, it was kind of mastering the language, especially because language is how you make a connection. Um, so I definitely really wanted to build upon that. And so my thing was really focusing in on the language and making sure I developed that to be at their level so that we can connect better. Great. And that's definitely something you can't do once and expect to have it. So it has to be something yeah. that recurring Absolutely. practice. Yep. You mentioned that you grew a ton professionally and personally. What, what would you say is the biggest difference between Natalie two years ago uh, from a professional standpoint, personal standpoint to who you are now? Professionally, I think I can navigate any sort of group. You throw me a group that doesn't speak English, I got it. Like I could, I, I could, I could work with that. Um, and then also just like diverse groups that come from those challenging situations. I feel like I'm definitely better at pulling those difficult conversations out of kids or giving them that sense of um, at least comfortability in a group or even on an individual setting that I wasn't able to do before. I, I remember one of my biggest challenges, and I think I had talked to you about this when I was at Empower, I always said, I don't know what those good debrief questions are. I know that, I know the typical ones that can lead to a good debrief, but like, what if there's something more I want to pull out? I don't know how to pull out all those different elements in a debrief. And I think now I think I've definitely developed the skills to be able to pull that information out of a group. Great. And I, you touched on it without saying it, but it's, it's hard that it, and I probably, if I had to guess what my answer was when you said that there's, there's not a great, there's not a script or a great question to ask. And, and it's going to get you to that deep thought provoking question that gets them to really give you some awesome answers. It's, you know, in my opinion, it comes from just life experience. You know, I think you're coming in now with two years of experience that not a lot of people have that, you know, you can hear say, or hear a group say something or an individual say something and draw on your personal experience to get them to reflect on the experience that they're having. And um, I probably, I probably gave you a frustrating answer. Like, well, I don't know. There's not a really good set of questions. It's, it's about the experiences and you have that now. That's great. Yeah, um, it definitely comes with practice, I think. Without a doubt. And so uh, what about personally? What's different? Because uh, you mentioned the professional side of things, and, and you know, I noticed you tried to skirt the hard answer. <laughs> First, what's what's changed? Yeah. Personally, I've definitely learned to develop kind of 
more of a sense of self. I feel really confident in my ability to speak Spanish. And I also feel really confident in my ability to be okay alone, which has been great for this COVID thing because I spent, you know, two years kind of living on my own without really other Americans. And I had the ability to call home and stuff, but it's different than that human interaction, you know? Um, so I think I de definitely developed an ability for, you know, dealing with just me and what do I like to do and what things can I do when there's not anyone else around. And then also kind of putting myself in uncomfortable situations. I mean, there's so many invitations I received. Come to my house to make tamales or like come to my house to just like for a cup of coffee. And you're like, okay, well, it's going to be in Spanish. I don't know them. I don't know. the. I know some things about the culture, but like, what if I do this wrong? Or what if I don't understand? And really pushing myself outside my comfort zone. I think that was my biggest takeaway from Guatemala was constantly living in the uncomfortableness, but becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable. Awesome. I'm, I'm really proud of myself for that. And, and you should be. And, and we, we see that firsthand doing what we do as, as kind of facilitators is it's our human nature to not do those things that are going to cause us uh, nervousness, anxiety, you know, potential fear of like embarrassment or failure. And, you know, again, going to that leadership of self, it's you have to figure out a way to coach yourself through that. And you just summed it up perfectly. I was uncomfortable. I did it a bunch and now I'm not as, not as uncomfortable as I was. Awesome yeah. answer. I mean, and even I, doing this podcast, this would probably be something before where I'd be like, I don't know, like, do I have enough to say for like an hour? But you know, you just got to do those things that make you uncomfortable and somehow it all just kind of ends up working out. Awesome answer. Awesome lesson for the, for those of you that are listening, especially if you're a uh, a student at the middle school or high school level, like if something's a little bit scary, it's not something that you should automatically just say, I shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, generally those things that push us out of our element are the ones that, again, Natalie just said how proud she is now because of those things she did then. And you all can have those same types of feelings of accomplishment. Uh, and it just takes that a couple seconds of courage to make that tough decision. Absolutely leadership of others. So that's the, that's the, the, the second kind of defined element of leadership is, uh, you know, the ability of a person to get a group organized towards some sort of common goal or common objective. What was the biggest leadership of others challenge that you had to, you know, that you faced and had to overcome on a daily basis down there? Um, I think certainly making connections between different organizations down there. So a lot of community development is pulling together different parts of the community and helping them work together to achieve a common goal. So in the youth service office, obviously they cared about the youth. They wanted to reduce instances of teen pregnancy, but also in the health center, that was a common goal they had, but they were not working together. Um, and so getting those two different parts of the community to come together to work on that was a little bit difficult because in a small community, like the one I was working in, there's gossip, there's, he said, she said, I can't work with this person because of blah, blah, blah. And kind of encouraging people to set aside differences and come together, um, to work towards that common goal was something I was constantly, you know, fighting against. Um, but I think me and then uh, some other Peace Corps volunteers did a really good job of pulling together um, two different sectors of the community. And we actually did have a really successful project um, together. What were some of the things, because that's not easy and that's something we see with the, uh, you know, a lot of the groups that we work with, regardless of age or whether it's corporate or students or athletes, what were some of the either experiences that you delivered or facilitated or tac tactics that you use to help 
facilitate that, hey, let's put our personal differences aside because, you know, we're all trying to pull in the same direction. Some things we did, um, definitely culture played a big factor in this case, just because they're a very indirect culture. They don't like to share those kind of things. It's kind of something they say behind closed doors, but never say to each other. Um, so we were able to set up a few workshops where you were able to submit feedback or comments in a, in anonymous way and kind of throw it all out there and have conversations from there. So we tried to make it so that it was completely anonymous. You throw out any of your um, opinions or comments or thoughts. And then we talk about it as a group. Well, what do you think this means? Like, I don't like when somebody does this and everybody has to say their opinion. Um, and that, that really helped. That's great. That's great. So again, it's an element of, you know, reading the group and understanding the group and putting together experiences that are enough in their element, but enough out of their element so that they, you know, are engaged, but they're also developing. Great answer, Natalie. Your favorite memory from the trip. Okay. So like I said, I, I did a lot of things outside my comfort zone. I am not a big dancer. I'm a terrible dancer. Um, I don't like dancing in front of people unless like, you know, I'm, you know, out with friends. I, I don't like to dance with people um, in public, but um, I was asked to do a 12 hour Guatemalan dance thing as, in a parade. And so the reason I said yes is because you wear a mask and nobody can see you. I mean, it was obvious by the color of my skin that it was me, but I did. I danced for 12 hours straight outside in the heat. And yeah, it was something completely outside of my comfort zone. I had to learn the dances, learn how to dance. Um, I was wearing a costume and yes, I had a mask, but it was very hard to breathe in it. Um, and I know you're like, why is this your best memory? I think just because it was something so different. I will never be able to do that in the States. Um, I now feel really good about dancing. Um, and I'm kind of proud of myself that I did it because if you were to tell me like two years ago, like you're going to dance for 12 hours straight in public in the heat to like the bachata and merengue and like all these dances I had never heard of, I would have said, okay, like, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, just, yeah, that was a great memory. That's awesome. Totally, totally not Natalie that and now I'm just so happy I did. And there was no like liquid courage involved. That was just you on your own. No, none of that involved. Not really. Cause it's very frowned upon for women to, um, to drink. So just no. so you had to go all in, embrace oh, it, yeah. and dive into the challenge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about leadership of self, leadership of others, an element of leadership that I think is forgotten and not talked about a lot is what we call legacy leadership. So you're in a place for a certain period of time, and then you leave that place, but you leave something behind for that place. What do you hope? Natalie left the community that you worked in after you left? Well, on, a, on like a professional basis, I did teach them um, a leadership methodology called ERCA, Experience, Reflection, Conceptualization, Application, um, just a way to structure different workshops so that they're fun and engaging and the particip participants aren't just sitting there listening to information. So professionally, I hope they will be able to use that methodology in their future workshops. And, and can you share that, the, the acronym again, one more time? It's ERCA, E-R-C-A. The E stands for experience. So every time you do a workshop, you want to do an activity. Um, the first activity you want to do is a common experience that all participants could take to heart. So if it's a, a workshop on leadership, you may want to do the human not activity. And then after that, reflect on it. Um, 
what did you learn from this? How did it feel? Maybe people are going to be like, there was one person that was really, you know, demanding and saying whatever. And then another person that didn't speak at all or whatever. And so they have that common experience to go on. So that's the E. The R, like I said, is the reflection reflecting on that common activity. The C is conceptualization. So what kind of new information are you giving to the participants about working together as a team, and then the application, a kind of a closing activity where they can put everything they learned from the first activity, from the reflection, from the new information you gave them, and apply it um, to something together as a group. So that's that's the great. Methodology. That's awesome. So any aspiring, you know, I don't think you need to be an adventure facilitator to implement that process. Anybody, I think, that, that works with students or children or even athletes or, you know, in the youth services uh, sector there, experience, reflection, conceptualization, and application. Great. I love it. What about from a, a not so prof uh, professional standpoint, more of the personal standpoint? What do you, what do you hope you left behind there in Guatemala? Um, I hope they saw like a very genuine, authentic person and were kind of encouraged to, you know, constantly be open and try new things. I think they definitely saw that I was putting myself out there a lot, doing a lot of things that made me uncomfortable. And I think that they can kind of, I hope that they can put themselves in my shoes and in their future and kind of say like, okay, well maybe this is something different, but I know that Natalie came and did it um, and be able to do the same. So I always told my kids like, it's not easy leaving your family, leaving your country, culture, language to come over here and teach you guys. Um, but here I am doing it and, and I, I was able to, and you guys could do the same. Like you can do crazy things um, if you, if you want to take that risk. So I guess I hope I left behind a personal legacy of positive risk taking. That's great. That's awesome. Are you able to, have you been able to uh, have any sort of communication with the people that you worked with uh, since you've been home? Yep. Yep. I've been making regular calls back to them just to kind of check in because like the COVID is different down there. I mean, they don't have a ton of cases, but they really need to take a lot of preventative measures just because they don't have the capacity in their healthcare system to be treating a bunch of patients. They're really not able to leave the house really at all. Oh, wow. Um, so I have talked to them, but they're all kind of holed up in their houses. Okay. All right. All right. Um, it's great that you're able to keep the connection too, especially with how abrupt you had to leave. There wasn't that, that, uh, well, there was no closure. Who is, who is, we're close to wrap it up here. And again, Natalie Nyrick, who, uh, you know, was with us for a short period of time at Empower, did a great job, but you know, more importantly, uh, spent just about two years, uh, Peace Corps Guatemala, doing some tremendous work down there. I uh, really appreciate you being on with us today. Who's someone who uh, inspires you from a leadership standpoint and why? I've had so many inspirational role models. I think the first one was my dad. He says yes to everything. Can you help with this? Can you help with this? He always says yes, always supporting others. Um, then as I kind of moved into Yukon slow ropes course, um, just the other facilitators, I drew a lot off of their facilitation styles um, when I was forming my own. So that was really helpful. Just kind of people that were able to very confidently deliver material, which I very quickly learned, like, if you seem confident, you're going to do a great job. You're going to come off as confident. And it's kind of all about kind of fake it till you make it sometimes. And then even, even my boss there was great as well. You were, you've been a great role model. Um, I learned a ton of empower that I was able to take to Guatemala. Um, so just kind of any past work partners. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. And no one knows when this is going to happen, but at some point this COVID-19 thing is going to be over and we're all going to be able to yep, cross the fingers 
and we're all going to be able to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, once the kind of stay home, stay safe, and you know things are back to normal, uh, what's the first thing that you're looking forward to doing once uh, we're able to have that that freedom again? Uh, first thing I'd like to do is organize a welcome home party, whether it is a year from now. I was really counting on a, a nice welcome home party with all my friends and family. And if they're not going to organize it, I'm going to organize it for myself. I just want to get all my friends and family together and kind of have a fun party. Awesome. Awesome. Great answer. I think everybody's craving that right now. It's uh, the family barbecue or the birthday yeah. party, anything where you can just be with people, not on zoom or yes. by phone. Uh-huh. Natalie, any parting wisdom for someone that's maybe in kind of the, you know, towards the back end of their college career? Um, it's, it's a tricky jump, right? It, it ends and it's either, you know, go back for more school or right into the professional career or maybe take some time to figure things out. Any parting wisdom for people that, you know, are going to really probably miss college graduation, but have that decision to make? I would say do something that that might be a little bit out of your comfort zone. If you're, com if you're questioning whether you should do this or this, maybe do the one that's a little bit more of a risk. If it's going off somewhere, do it because now is the time, you know, before you get a job, before you do decide to go back to school, take that jump, that leap of faith, because it could be something you can learn from. I mean, that's what a lot of me and my friends did and it's working pretty well for us. So I say, go for it. Go for that crazy thing you've always wanted to do. Awesome. Awesome. Great answer, Natalie. And then for anybody that hears that, uh, what, so you're, you're looking to get into working at a school as a teacher, Yeah. anybody um, that's uh, hiring, Natalie will be a great asset to a community, did a great job at Empower, has a uh, uh, extremely unique life experience. And as you heard throughout the episode, uh, going to be someone that's confident, going to be someone that is able to connect with students and I think use her, leverage her past experiences to help those students realize that they can do some, some exceptional things. So appreciate you being on with us today. It was a, it was a pleasure and it was great to hear about your, your trip. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. That was Natalie Nyrick and she leads with Empower. Appreciate you checking out our podcast. Natalie, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank you so much to our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in. And always remember, great leadership looks, sounds, and feels different. However, there is a common thread that connects all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead, and they spend most of their time in their stretch zone. Not settling for that which is comfortable, because nothing exceptional was ever accomplished from comfort. <laughs>